I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Eight seven seven three seven seven four three seven three. It is time to continue and wrap up the Lewis and Clark segment. This is number three. 
Hopefully, we'll never, ever, ever go four, and three better be a real big rarity. But I don't make any promises. I don't make any promises on this show. I, as you well know, have so many, are we going to call them personality flaws? I mean, people love to call them quirks, but that's really just a nice way of saying these are gigantic gaping holes in who you are. One of my massive ones is I get distracted. And when I, when I tell you history stories, I get sidetracked and I get into the story. And as I'm telling the story, something will pop up that'll interest me. And I'll just go off on a side tangent. And then I look, I'm like, oh, wow, that was a whole segment. Dang it. (laughs) So, but today, Chris I don't care if it takes two hours. I don't care if it takes 20 minutes. We are finishing this today. I'm committing that to all of you, including producer Chris. When we last left, Lewis and Clark, and if you missed the beginning of the setup and then the continuation after the setup, that was Thursday and Friday. So just go back. Download those shows. In general, I find it's probably not good in the radio business to tell you to turn the channel or turn the show off. However, I am jumping in in the middle of this freaking story. And if you missed the first two, it's an incredible story. Start with Thursdays, then Fridays, then come back to today's show. Remember, the whole show's podcasted right after the show. It's not like Chris waits around for it. It's on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. Just go get the podcast. So, again, I'm not giving you any setup today. There's simply not time. You can't trust. I can't trust myself, so we're not doing any kind of a recap. When we left Lewis and Clark, they were having a bit of a tense exchange with the Teton Sioux, the king dogs of the plain, warlike, beating the crap out of everybody, mastered the horseback, so on and so forth. And just know there were even tensions as they left the Teton Sioux because, well, there are certain advantages to being lords of the plains. One of those advantages are you get to charge a toll. A toll to use this here river. You see, remember, this was French territory, then Spanish, it's been changing hands. These are people who've seen white men before, seen, obviously, other Indian tribes before. And, contrary to popular belief, how we have to paint all the Indians in today's books and movies, Indians liked stuff, too. Indians were all about power too and land because guess what indians are human beings they're not saints and angels they're just like any other skin color and one of the reasons they're my favorite actually is the sioux use that to their advantage big time conquerors and part of that is oh yeah no you can go up river for a fee the funny part about this lewis and clark expedition was Yes, they were there for diplomacy, there to make friends, but also there to inform the Indian tribes there's a new rooster on the block, if you want to 
make that saying a little more family friendly. Almost used the keyword. I almost used the c word right there, Chris. Dang it, that would have been a bad way to start a Monday. That's how it was always said to me. But again, back to Lewis and Clark, they're not paying any toll. And they were informing the Sioux, oh, no, 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 we want to be friends, but you seem to misunderstand the relationship here. There's a lot more of us than there are of you, and we're very, very powerful, and we're coming. Do me a favor, unhand my boat before you lose it. They parted, and it was tense. It was very, very tense. And one part I skipped over the other day briefly was the Spanish. Remember, the Spanish are still at this at the point in time where they feel like this Louisiana Territory purchase where Jefferson bought it from France, they feel like it violated a treaty, and it might have, and they feel like this is not legitimate at all. They feel like this is their territory. And they are sending out groups to go hunt down Lewis and Clark. You didn't know that part of the story, did you? They sent out a smaller band of dudes. Of course, these guys, they don't know what they're doing. They end up getting in a huge fight with a bunch of Indians. It doesn't go well. They have to go back home. Then they send out another big expedition. They miss Lewis and Clark too. Can't find them. Have to go back home. Then the Spanish at one point sent a 600-man expedition, 2,000 horses out there to find Lewis and Clark, slap them in cuffs for what they viewed as a blatant, you know, illegal exploration. Couldn't find them, had to go back home. And what's amazing is Lewis and Clark this whole time had no idea they were being hunted by Spain while they were doing this exploration. There are so many near misses. And, oh, there's a great near miss today. One of my favorite Old West stories of all time. So you're just going to have to hang tough for a minute. And we will get there. Like I said, I'm finishing today if it takes the entire daggone three-hour show. I did get your emails, I should mention. Thank you for your kind words. Appreciate that very much. And to the gentleman who is the former felon leftist, now grinding away, getting grades in school, and seems to be, wrote a long email, seems to be really exploring what he believes. Brother, I don't care that you're on the left or on the right. I think it's freaking awesome that you're pulling your life together. Lord knows I could be in your shoes. I've got a laundry list of screw-ups 10 million miles long. Forget about yesterday. Keep marching on, man. Proud of you. Now, We shove off. We are heading west, and they have a destination in mind. First, they're going to continue to hunt and fish. They are trying to get to the village of the Mandan Indians, M-A-N-D-A-N. The Mandan Indians are almost the rest stop. They are the far western reach of really where white men had been in any significant numbers. They were very friendly with virtually all of them. They were known to be endlessly hospitable. If you were a fur trader or you were Lewis and Clark or whoever you were, you stopped in and hung out with the Mandan. Hung out, traded. It's going to be friendly. It's going to be great. Lewis and Clark have a plan 
to get to the Mandan by wintertime because you do not travel this area in the winter. One of the things we don't talk very much of is how much the weather played a huge part in so much of history. How many battles and wars and things have gone south in the winter? Uh, You all know the stories about the Russian winter killing Napoleon, killing Hitler, killing all these guys. Genghis Khan was the only one who seemed to love the daggone thing, of course. Forever, armies wouldn't fight in the winter. The Roman army, nobody. You just did not fight in the wintertime. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a war. The snows start falling. You know what? We're going to go. We'll meet you guys back here in spring, okay? Which is so bizarre to me, but it affected things. So they're heading towards the Mandan, but they run into some trouble. Some bad trouble and some better trouble. Hang on, I'll explain. I'm going to shoot you straight. I am having more issues with my truck. I know this is something you've heard from me before, and I know you know how much I despise them. Despise them. Because the money. I mean, it's not just the headache of taking it in, maybe getting a rental. It's the money, right? It's backbreaking when you have to fix your car. I know you've gone through it. You know what that check engine light means for you. It hurts. It's going to hurt financially. Not anymore, though. Now you have Car Shield. Car Shield offers you a wide range of protection plans that actually can save you thousands of dollars on covered repairs. We're talking you choose the mechanic, you choose the dealership. Go find out what I'm talking about because they bailed me out. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. and Clark and the Corps of Discovery. They're heading to the Mandan Village for the winter time, and first they encounter their very first encounter with grizzly bears. Obviously, it was not unheard of for people to encounter bears in the Americas. There are black bears all over the East, especially back at this time they were. They knew bears to be dangerous. However... There's a black bear and there's a grizzly bear. What they were really shocked by, and this kind of behavior you generally don't see with black bears, the grizzly bears, well, similar to the Sioux, the grizzly bear are used to being the apex predator for all of their history, all of it. They have never had to run from anything except for maybe another larger grizzly bear, including a man. Uh, I see you there, man. 
I smell you there. I bet you didn't know that grizzly bears have a sense of smell several, several, several times greater than a bloodhound. Their, their noses are absurd. That's why uh, bear spray works so well. Their noses are so absurdly sensitive, it just screws them up terribly. Anyway, grizzly bears don't run away. And that's what freaked out Lewis and Clark. You can't kill them, or it's very difficult to kill them. And they don't run away. They run at you. You see one away from you, you take a shot at it, you hit it, one, he's not going to die, especially not with one of these old school muzzle loaders, and two, he's going to turn around, find you, hunt you down, and eat you. It totally freaked them out. They wrote extensively about these grizzly bears as if they were medieval monsters. They just didn't know what to do. That was the bad trouble they got in. Now it comes to the Arikara or Arikari Indians. If that name at all sounds familiar, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You know the story of Hugh Glass. If you don't, I've done it before a long time on the show. Definitely do it again. It, It doesn't matter right now. What you need to know is... For a long, long time, these fur traders, American, French, British, so on and so forth, had great relationships with Indians sometimes. Sometimes those relationships went south. And for a long time, the Arikara were hunting down and killing every fur trader they could find. They used to call them Rees. However, this is not that time at this time, or this may be even just a totally different band At this time, the Arikara were welcoming, extremely welcoming. And when I say extremely welcoming, I mean these are men who've been only with other men for quite some time now in their younger 20s, testosterone-filled men out exploring the wilderness. They find the Arikara. It's very, very friendly And so friendly that they are, well, they make a great discovery for them. It turns out the Arikara, their women believed that they would take some of your power if they would welcome you in their teepee. I don't even know if they had teepees. You're just going to have to read between the lines in in what I'm trying to say here. They viewed these men as very powerful, which they were. And it was their belief they could acquire some of that power. They gave back a little. And they did. Now, obviously, while I'm sure this was fun for men in the uh, core of discovery, um, it also comes with problems, as it always does. You see, it's not just nowadays where that whole situation gets messy. You see, the Arikara women... Um, it wasn't their first time, and it wasn't their first contact with anybody from the outside world, and, well, I don't believe anybody with the expedition stopped at a 7-Eleven and purchased the proper protection beforehand, and wouldn't you know it, VD breaks out with the core of Discovery, and it ended up being a problem for the rest of the trip. I bet that was quite a shock, Chris. 
So, yeah, there was that. We're going to move right along there because this is a family show. They get to the Mandan villages. They settle down. Winter with the Mandan. And they're trying to keep the peace and extend the peace with all the Indian tribes. We touched on that last show, so I'm not going to go into it extensively here. Just know that they always wanted the tribes to get along with each other. Lots of the tribes, most of the tribes got along with the Americans. Or in the very least, just let them by. But they were always fighting with each other. There were always these rivalries. And then there were alliances that turned into rivalries and rivalries that turned into alliances. It's just, it's, it's no different than humankind today. Again, it's so funny how people have to act as if that way of life was so much more noble or so much worse, brutal savages. It's not any worse or better. It's just people. People find a tribe of some kind. They share common values in that tribe. They pursue prosperity for that tribe. And in the pursuance of that prosperity, they're going to run into other tribes pursuing prosperity. And there's going to be trouble. And Lewis and Clark were some of the very beginnings of America not understanding the different bands, different chiefs, not understanding how long so many of these rivalries had gone on. You don't get to show up with some medals and trinkets and a couple knives and smoke a peace pipe and bring this chief from this tribe over with this chief from this tribe and let's just get along. We're going to get along now, right? I told you guys to get along. Doesn't work like that. They were finding that out quickly. Now, remember that big keel boat that Jefferson and Meriwether Lewis had designed for this trip? This entire time, they had been, one, emptying it of all the supplies in it, food, whiskey, trading goods, bullets, all those things, you know, as they used them. And two, they had been loading it up with, gosh, I would have loved to have seen this. These people came prepared. They've been loading it up with everything, maps, diaries, documentation, descriptions of everything. Remember, this is a core of discovery. They're out here to explore. They're sending back, trying to send back, live animals. Not very many of them made it. I think just a magpie and maybe a gopher or something. There were The animals that aren't live, like badgers and such, they're putting their furs. They're putting their skeletons in these things. They are sending back troves of things. So we have records. Now, there's a couple reasons they're sending it back from this Mandan village. One, they're done with the keel boat. It's a great boat to send back east. Two, remember, there hasn't been mail. Thomas Jefferson doesn't have any idea what's going on with these guys for right now. Maybe a word from this trapper or that trapper, but you need to give the, the boss a heads up that you're alive. And if you're Meriwether Lewis and Clark, you really need to give the boss a heads up that just wanted to let you know how successful we're being. Just out here being successful. Always important to check in with the boss now and then and make sure he knows how invaluable you are. So it doesn't hurt to send back a keelboat loaded with stuff that Jefferson is going to get off on. Jefferson loved this stuff. Loved it. Winter ends. They send the keelboat back east and they head west. Now we are really in uncharted territory. It's a little tough.
HomeTitleLock.com. Well, I wish it wasn't necessary now, but it is necessary because they can't stop it. They haven't found out how to stop it. It's going up, not down. That's what's so amazing about home title theft. The FBI knows about it. Law enforcement knows about this. They're trying. It's not their fault. But they can't get a handle on it. The problems are getting worse. It's just too easy for these cyber thieves to get their hands on your home title, forge your signature on it, take a loan out against it, and you have to pay it back. That's real. It's happening right now. Unless you have HomeTitleLock.com, you are toast. So go get them. HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Because that gets you 30 days for free. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code JESSE. The expedition is heading west. They know the Rocky Mountains are coming. They have been misled, however, with how difficult it's going to be to cross the Rocky Mountains. I'll be honest with you. I did some digging into this, and I'm not seeing a lot out there that says they were lied to. But I find this totally bizarre. How could people be under the impression, Indians or not, that it would be easy to cross the Rocky Mountains? And I need to explain this to you in case you've never been there. I lived there for much of my life. We moved to Bozeman, Montana when I was 10. So for about a decade, I lived there and have spent so much time up there, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, just shoot, all all through the Rockies. People who've never spent any time in the mountains or around the Rocky Mountains can get a mistaken impression because you just see it on a map maybe or you picture a mountain in your mind and you see, what do you see? Like a line of, of mountains. And let's just cross. We'll find a gap and we'll cross through that gap, and then we're through the mountains. You know, it's normal land, and then you cross the gap, and then then you're back into normal land. No, no, you do not realize how wide and vast they are. It's a mountain and a gap, and then a mountain and a gap, and a mountain and a gap, and a mountain and a gap, and a mountain and a gap. Do an image search. I haven't even done this yet. I bet it's good. Do an image search right now for the Rocky Mountains. And don't look at the length. They run, you know, clear from Canada down to Arizona. Look at the width. Now, traverse that on horseback. It's difficult, to put it mildly. And we're in a modern era. Okay, a modern era. And I used to do elk camp in the mountains. And we would ride up in the summertime and bury essential food and supplies in barrels in the ground and then ride back down off the mountain just because we knew we were going to have to ride back in. And it's so daunting. You have to make sure you have extras. And this was modern era. 
GPS and stuff like that. Now do it before there's anyone else around you ever. I'll be honest with you. This part of the trip, if you've never been to the Rockies, will be hard for you to appreciate. And if you've been to the Rockies, you will get it. You will get it 100%. That they traversed the Rocky Mountains is amazing. And they were told it would be easier than it was. And they start getting closer and closer, and they're finding out that is not the case. And they're finding out you potentially have some real nasty Indian tribes out here somewhere. They come across this gold mine of a girl. There's a dude, her husband's a French dude, and kind of a scumbag. We're not going to go into him. He had, I think, four or five Indian wives, all of them 16 or under. Uh, He was not well thought of by the crew, by Lewis and Clark, by any of them, just not well thought of at all. But he did have a 16-year-old Indian girl named Sacagawea, or Sacagawea, depending on who you're hearing say it. You've probably heard the name Sacagawea. She's revered to this day. Remember I told you I grew up in Bozeman, Montana? We have Sacagawea Peak right there. And that's one of a thousand things that are named after Sacagawea. She's famous. And she really, quite possibly, saved these guys' lives. We'll get to that in a minute. But she and these she helps guide them through the Rocky Mountains. Should be noted, they're still fighting grizzly bears. One time they had to shoot it 10 times to get the thing to die. This is an ongoing problem. They're having to be extra careful out there hunting. And remember this, we talked about this the other day, they're hunting and fishing constantly. It is a constant effort to feed 25 hardworking men trekking across the Rocky Mountains. It's difficult. And they're still exploring. And here's what's really wild. I want you to pause for a moment and think about communication. Think about what you know, what you don't know, trying to coordinate with things. When's the last time you had to coordinate with two different groups of people? For business, for a party, for whatever. Was it seamless? Did it take a little bit of time? Maybe a miscommunication here or there. Maybe someone flat out got something wrong. Again, remember, this is with modern technology where in your hand you are connected. Connected. Beyond belief. Eight trillion ways to connect you, to contact you. So, picture splitting up towards the Rocky Mountains with no cell phone, no email, no mail, no nothing, splitting up just to do something simple like explore the fork of a river. They come to a river, and there's a gigantic fork where it looks like, um, okay, the river we, we are on is going this way, or it might be going that way, and you don't know which direction to take. You have to split the group up and meet backs in the middle somewhere. And they split the group up to go explore. They come back, actually end up meeting together in the middle with no answers. They think they might know, but it's like half the expedition says, I'm telling you, this fork is the one. And the other half of the expedition says, nope, this fork is the one. 
they ended up choosing correctly, and the trip would have been disastrous had they chose the other one. That's how close things get with this thing. And they're coming to things like waterfalls. You see, you're not really running into waterfalls as you take the river through the Great Plains. You start getting into mountainous rivers. You start getting into hazardous, dangerous environments full of rapids that can kill you like that and do to this day, full of waterfalls. You don't just get to hop on a boat smoke a little corn cob pipe with your hat draped down over your eyes and enjoy floating down the river. You have got to scout ahead a lot. How slow is that process? Then, tell me this wouldn't suck. Let's say you find a waterfall. How do you think you handle that? You have to take every boat you have and everything you were hauling in the boat, you have to unload it onto the shore. Then you have to go by foot down to the base of this waterfall with all the stuff. I'm not going to belabor the point, but just know it's time-consuming and exhausting. And now you're getting into – they're in the Great Falls region at this point in time, Great Falls, Montana – Now you're getting into mountains. Now you're getting into harder to breathe. You're burning even more calories. And, of course, as luck would have it, Great Falls, Montana, at this time, swarming with grizzly bears. They are having all kinds of problems at night. Grizzly bears. During the day, grizzly bears. And this young girl, Sacagawea, worth her weight in gold, really, really earns it again. You see, they run into some Shoshone. It turns out her brother's the freaking chief. (laughs) So that really works out. That really works out well because at this point in time, the guys of Lewis and Clark are starting to get very, very hungry. They're not getting enough food, and they really need horses. There's simply not a way you're going to be able to traverse these mountains without them. You're just not. They get a friendly Indian tribe, link up, hugs and kisses all around, and we're rolling for a while. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. You need to diversify with your money. It's not as if I'm breaking new information to you here. You need to spread your money around. You worked dang hard for it. You've done the smart thing. You've done the right thing. And you've invested it, saved, spent less than you made. Because you're going to retire one day. You don't want to work until you're 95 years old. All that's smart. Please tell me you don't all have it in the same place. Please tell me you don't. Get a gold IRA. I'm not telling you to do something drastic. I would never tell you to do something like that. I'm telling you to get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Spread your money around so if the worst happens, and you know it will... 
you're not completely toast. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Go there today. They get their hands on some horses. They make their way through the mountains. And they're hungry again. Again, they continue to run out of food. They continue to search for this water route that will get them clear to the Pacific. They run into the Nez Pierce Indians, and it is important we dwell on the Nez Pierce for a moment because the Lewis and Clark Corps of Discovery is most likely the Lewis and Clark story of a bunch of dudes who disappeared in the mountains without the the Nez Pierce Indians. The Nez Pierce take these guys in. I have a, a bit of a connection because the Nez, this is in general the Montana area. I went to Chief Joseph Middle School. I don't know if it's still named that in Bozeman, Montana. Chief Joseph was a Nez Pierce chief. These people... Yeah, good for them. It's really, really freaking awesome what they did, taking them in. We need to we need to make sure we point out Lewis and Clark and the men are constantly f- battling sicknesses at this time. They do continue to run into other Indian tribes where the women are welcoming We'll get into that more, but that is affecting the health of the men as well. I wasn't kidding about the BD thing. It was a problem. It was a big problem. Obviously not one you read about in the kids' textbooks, but I give you the real deal here. It's a big problem. And they were suffering from malaria extensively. We'll get into that. I mean, that ended up having a big effect on on Lewis and others, constantly battling sickness. They do finally get to the ocean. Now, the plan was simply this. You get to the ocean because it's about wintertime again. I would highly recommend you read a book or two. Read Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, on this if you want the whole thing. Because I just went from one winter to the other winter and about 30 minutes of radio, and there's so much good stuff in there. I just can't possibly take too much longer on this. But they get to the Pacific Ocean, and their plan is to winter there and then go back home. They end up wintering right next to another Indian tribe, takes them in, very nice, very respectful. Again, women extremely welcoming. They decide they're going to live separately from the Indians. Very smart. They build a little fort there. They have a separate salt camp where they're pulling salt out of the ocean. I don't know exactly how they did it. I believe it was like a big boiling thing. And when winter finally ended, they had to go back east. They are no longer well supplied. Remember. They are just flat out running out of everything. This expedition was not supposed to take this long. They don't have things. And now, because you don't have things, you don't have things to trade. Because we didn't, we're didn't, we not really dealing with currency with the Indian tribes, 
You're just trading goods for goods. You know, that's what human beings do whenever you don't have currency. Well, I mean, they can be nice and they are nice, but remember the Indian tribes are people too. So you go knocking on the door. Uh, I need some of your canoes. And the Indians are all, okay, well, what can you give me for them? Oh, nothing. Well, no, go pound sand. Go build your own canoes. This is, this is capitalism always rules, baby. Always. So we actually get into a point here, an ugly little point. I don't like this part of it, especially because the stealing. Remember we talked the other day about the stealing and how much of a part of so many of the tribes it was. It was not looked down on. And again, if it sounds like I'm defending them, it's because I am. That was part of their culture. As a young man, you see the a horse that belongs to another tribe or a white dude. You're almost expected to go take that horse. You get back with someone else's horse, with someone else's gun, with someone else's woman half the time. Uh, You're not getting scolded by the elders in your community. You're getting a pat on the back. Got a boy. Proud of you. It's their culture. Lots of them. And Lewis and Clark had a major problem with the constant thievery. By now, and this part stinks. But because of the cultural divide, by now, there's real animosity between the core of discovery and Indians in general. Yes, they have some tribes they love and they get along with, but they're so sick of constantly having to look out for the thievery, it's bothering them now badly. Which is really funny because these Indians they're with out there They're not parting with any canoes, and they have to have canoes or they're not going to get back east ever again. And Lewis and Clark steal one. Sucks, right? Sucks big time. Hang on. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
Lewis and Clark head back east. They do trade for a canoe. They do steal another canoe, and they're taking off. Now, they are healthy at this point in time, as healthy as you can be after this much time away. So that's pretty cool. Um, they're not racing back east. You need to understand that. This is not a this is not a, a desperate trip of survival now. They're healthy enough that they're still exploring a lot. But that's part of the problem. They're trying to get cover as much ground as possible, bring back as much information as possible, and everywhere they go, the Indian tribes who are friendly to them are warning them. Just like they were getting warned about the Teton Sioux. Uh, you're coming up on the Blackfeet. Uh, you know you're coming to the Blackfeet, right? Have you heard of the Blackfeet? You do know which direction you're going, right? That's where the Blackfeet are. Blackfeet Indians, one of my favorite tribes out there. Extremely powerful. Very, very violent. And Lewis and Clark are not only heading towards them, they're splitting up the group a lot and heading towards them. And we are about to have a problem. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Blackfeet, you're heading towards the Blackfeet. Watch out for the Blackfeet. Blackfeet are awesome, I should say again. You should check out the Blackfeet Indians. Very cool tribe. And wouldn't you know it, they're starting to see signs. One of the groups that has split off is starting to see signs of an Indian tribe everywhere. Contrary to popular belief, I know everybody has to make all the Indians out to be a saint. Oh, they would camp down someplace, and as soon as they were done camping, they would fill in the wildfire and replant the grass so you never knew they were there. Oh, shut up. No, they didn't. They're leaving sign behind all the time, and they see this Indian sign all over the place. Finally, seven of their horses go missing one night. Lewis and Clark... And these men of the frontier are not stupid. They know how to tie up a horse for the evening. A horse doesn't just vaporize. They know they've had horses stolen from them now. Again, increasing the resentment. Finally, the day comes and they run into a small group of seven or eight Indians on horseback. And these Indians are not pleasant. They are shouting. They're belligerent. They're all male. Lewis and is actually just Lewis at this time. Clark is separate, but Lewis and his small group are trying to wave flags, which is a sign of peace. 
lay down their weapons. The Indians are getting rambunctious. And in one of, gosh, this had to be intense. Lewis talked about how scared he was later. One of the Indians charges on horseback. Lewis gets off of his horse and lays down his rifle and holds his hand out. Like, stop. I come in peace. Stop. The Indian charges up to him, turns around, and rides back. They finally approach each other and have a peaceful exchange. They smoke a peace pipe, but it's a tense, tense moment. And it turns out, yep, these are Blackfeet. Okay, well, all right. Well, look, we're, we're going to let's just hang out together for a little while. No problem, right? It'll be fr- no problem, right? Yeah, there's going to be a problem. Just like the Teton Sioux, these are Blackfeet. These are the big guys on the block, and they're used to doing what they want, when they want, and they're a warlike tribe. One night, they wake up. And there are three guns stolen, and they see the Indians running off with the guns. One of the men of the expedition, and this is sweet. I mean, they all go charging after them. One of them catches up to him, has a knife, catches this Blackhawk or Blackfeet warrior, has a knife, knifes him in the chest, kills him, plunges a knife into his chest on the ground, kills him. Lewis. Gets his horse stolen and his rifle stolen. Rides up to this guy. This guy turns around, takes a shot at Lewis, barely misses. Lewis says he hears the the bullet fling by him. Lewis shoots with his pistol that he has left. Does not miss. Another one. Dead. Now you've got a big, big problem. You fought off those because the other ones ran off. Now, though, you were in the heart of of Blackfeet territory with Blackfeet warriors who just escaped. They already hate your guts. Now you killed two of their warriors and wounded their pride, and you don't even have the whole expedition with you. You're in trouble. Lewis, I don't know whether you can say to his credit or not, decides he's going to peacock a little bit. You see they had exchanged these little medals with the Blackfeet Indians. You know, a little friendship medals. Hey, here's a little medal of mine. They would they would give these medals out often to the Indians. A little coin, a little medal. Lewis goes to the Blackfeet Indian he killed and ties the medal around his neck as a gigantic middle finger <laughs> to the Blackfeet tribe. He even said it. He wrote it down. I forget exactly what his words were. It's, you know, I want I wanted them them to know. I wanted them to know. I tried. They. Get in these. They they learned to make what they called bull boats. They were boats they had uh, made of obviously out of wood and buffalo hide, and they get in the Dagon River and they're sleeping at this point in time one hour a night for a couple days. There's no campfires. There's no hanging out. Get in the boat and put miles between you. Now the good news is they're heading down river, so you're you're traveling uh, six seven. You're probably traveling 60 miles a day. So they do make it out of there alive. They end up meeting back up. They get the whole group together, and life is good. They find a cache of food. Remember, they on the way out west, 
They had buried food and supplies other places. We're talking about powder, shot, flour, salt pork. So these are like a godsend, and now they're pretty much out of the water, out of danger. They get clear back east. They get to St. Louis. They are. They have crowds of people waiting for them as word gets back. People thought they were dead. A lot of people thought they were dead. They didn't heard from them. And again, there's no mail. And these guys are international heroes. And it's difficult to describe how amazing that is because very few stories are international at this time. They knew about Lewis and Clark. Everybody did, let alone national heroes. The country is incredibly grateful. The men of the expedition are all given double pay, all given gigantic land grants, taken care of very well according to their rank. It's so funny how so many of them just continued to live lives of adventure and danger. More than one of these guys will go back into the territories with trappers or whatnot. More than one of these guys will die at the hands of Indians in later years. Just out there, Indian fighting, trapping, trading, which is really cool. And you know what? I wasn't there, and it's easy for me to say when it's not my scalp under the knife, I bet you that's how some of them would have wanted to go. A man like that, that's the life you live. I think it's pretty cool. Clark goes on to have a very happy, successful life. One of the guys of the expedition, get this, Turns around and fights in the War of 1812. Multiple turn around and fought in the War of 1812. This guy fights in the War of 1812, loses an eye, continues to live for like ever, and the Civil War breaks out and tries to join the Army at the age of 91. (laughs) The Army's all, dude, what? Are you serious? They probably should have let the guy in, live to the age of 98 with one eye. That's the good news. The bad news is Lewis Lewis did not do well. Remember, suffered from alcoholism, suffered from depression. His family did. One of these guys probably not suited well for a wealthy existence without adventure. A guy like that, one of these super genius types, alcoholic depression, they need to stay busy. You have to stay busy. He said, don't get me wrong. He keeps himself busy starting businesses and whatnot, but he starts racking up debt like you can't believe. Now you've got enough cash. This is part of the problem. When you have substance abuse problems and you make it career-wise, now you have the money to feed that beast. So he's diving deeper into alcohol, which, of course, makes the depression worse, and drugs, opioids and whatnot. Remember I said he had malaria? He's treating that. He's treating a gunshot wound he got hunting from one of his own men on the expedition. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. You know how long gold and precious metals have been worth something? Let's start with, well, for all of recorded history. 
That's how long it's been worth something. That's why it's so important to have some gold as part of your portfolio. You just have to. And it's not, look, I'm not asking you to buy pirate treasure here and have a treasure chest in your home, although that'd be really cool. It's official. I want you to get a gold IRA. There are gold IRAs now. A lot of people don't even know about them. Gold Alliance can walk you through every single part of getting a gold IRA. They make it completely easy. Make your wealth protected as it grows, protected by buying gold. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Go get a gold IRA. Don't wait till tomorrow. Get one today. Lewis piles up debts. He was uh, quite fond of, because he's a governor at this point in time, he's obviously given so many positions of importance, revered. I mean, these guys are national heroes. And he was very fond of making promises on the government's behalf. Didn't have, it appears he didn't have a great concept of money. And I've known people like this. Maybe it was because he grew up an aristocrat. Maybe it's because that's just not how his mind works. I've known people who have a a great concept of money and a lot of people who don't. Obviously, producer Chris, great concept of money, as we all know. Look, he's Jewish producer Chris. I've known people who just money doesn't occur to them. They'll go buy things and you're you're doing the math in your head thinking, well, you make this and now you drive that and that home. And sure enough, about six months later, I had to sell it. I couldn't make the payments. You, you didn't work that out beforehand. Some people just don't have a good concept of money. Lewis grew up an aristocrat. I don't know whether that played into it or not. Alcoholic, drug addict. I don't, I'm sure that didn't help. And let me be clear on something. I'm not judging the man at all. I've had and have plenty of my own problems. And guess what? You do too. We just don't advertise them, do we? So good for him. Wish he would have got through it a different way. He didn't. And he's constantly racking up bills. Now, in general, the government doesn't want to say no to Meriwether Lewis. Let me, let me clarify this. In my lifetime, there has never been a national hero of this fame. If you're older than me, the best example I could probably come up with would be somebody like Neil Armstrong. Maybe Dwight Eisenhower, like that kind of guy, post-World War II Dwight. I mean, that a national hero. Meriwether Lewis ain't paying for too many drinks in the bars. Granted, that turned out to probably be a problem, but. So the government is having a hard time saying no, too. But eventually he gets so bad, the government finally says, nope, we're not paying that. That's on you. And he's racked up debts everywhere now, debts that he's personally responsible for. He decides 
He's got to get back to Washington because he does not have the cash. He's got plenty of property and such. He actually started a business with Clark. Those two remain, you know, close friends forever. He doesn't have the cash, though. He's just, so he decides he's going to go back to Washington, D.C. and go do some personal lobbying that the government pay these things. And then, as in now, lobbying, really important. I know we're in the age of the Zoom phone calls and virtual classes. Um, there are some things that don't change. God created us for human-to-human contact, and there is no substitution for it. Zero. I'm not anti-technology guy either, anti-social media guy. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. It can be used for good, can be used for bad. I'm not anti-technology guy. I'm here telling you, though, there is no substitute. Shaking hands, looking somebody in the eye, speaking to them judging their mood, their body language. So Lewis is heading back to do that. Along the way, his demons get the better of him. And there have been a lot of conspiracies around this because of the way it happened. He fires two shots. He's staying in the home of, I believe it was a bed and breakfast. It might have been a hotel. I'm not sure about the detail on that. But I know he fires two shots. They find him shot in the stomach and shot in the head, which lends to the conspiracy theory as well. This is not a stupid man. Depressed or not, if he wanted to kill himself, it is a little weird that he would ever consider shooting himself in the stomach first. And I'm assuming that's the first shot. I guess we don't know that. But you don't want to be gut shot ever. It releases... Uh, those acids into your body, it takes forever to die, and it's brutally painful. You do not want to be shot in the guts. Just put one in my head and finish it off. But he is shot in the gut, shot in the head, still not dead, apparently attended to by servants, asked them to finish him off. They don't. Took a little while to die. Finally, he dies. Quite an ugly ending for Meriwether Lewis. And that is the story of Lewis and Clark and the core of discovery. As I often do, I tell you the ones that are worth looking into more because I can't do them justice. Let me tell you, the Lewis and Clark voyage is something you should look into more. It's an awesome, cool, cool story. I'll tell you who did a good documentary on it too was, uh, as he always does. Ken Burns did one a long time ago. I saw it as a kid. I should watch it again as an adult. Ken Burns did a little two-part one. It was like two two-hour shots, not like his normal 10-part four-hour episodes or whatever they are, but it was very, very good. Well worth your time. And I like the I like the visual documentary part as much as I like the Stephen Ambrose book. Because you get to see the plains. You get to see the Rockies. It brings home the journey more because of the visual aspect to it. Isn't he the one that said Sacagawea, Chris? I don't know. Look, we called it in Bozeman. Like I said, Sacagawea Peak. There's Sacagawea everything. We always called it Sacagawea. 
And then for a long time, I heard people call her Chicago. It doesn't really matter. I don't think, I don't think to be honest, some of that stuff gets lost through the ages and I don't think they know. I bet you there are a thousand different words and names we pronounce a certain way today that if we said it back then to that person's face, they'd laugh in your face. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but part of the reason I love this story so much is it's an American story. All American. And it was such a source of pride for America in general because by now, at this point in time, you know, 1800-ish, I think it ended in 1806, everyone else had their explorers. Everyone else had their Magellan, Christopher Columbus, Hernan Cortez. Everyone else did. Everyone had Ponce de Leon. America was still so young. We'd only been around 25 years, 30 years at this point in time. We were still so young. What did we have? We had a revolution, but we were still finding our footing and looking for a huge, huge source of natural, national pride. You, you want, as a nation, you want some notches on the belt. And that was ours. And it was awesome. And it was part of what built this amazing country. And I love the Indian parts of the story. And I love the explorer parts of the story. I love the thought of being out there with nobody and nothing else but each other. I think it's such a credit, such an absolute credit to this country. And the reason I wanted to do this one so bad, I've been wanting to do it for a while, is... I think with all the bad news, and there's plenty of it, and you know I'm going to get to some of it today, I think it's easy to forget what a cool, cool story the American story is. And we're not even that old as a country still. But there are some really, really awesome parts to America. That's worth remembering. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You wanna talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you wanna talk about your safety training. You wanna talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today and all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.